Good morning, everybody. Um, this is our third interview with Father James Maudsley. And I was just telling him in the green room, um, the first time we had him on, I think, is one of our best interviews. So if you guys have never seen that, uh, we discussed the um, the traditional mass in the Old Testament, how like the roots of the traditional mass are in the Old Testament, went through a whole bunch of typology. And it was one of my favorite shows that we've ever done. Then the second time we had you on, I wasn't prepared for it because I hadn't read If You Believe Moses Volume 1. So I had you on a little too soon because that was how the scheduling worked out. But this time I read Volume 2 and my mind is like ready to explode just with all the insights that I have from reading this book. Uh, first off, how have you been, Father? Not bad at all. Can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? So you, this book was actually uh, taken off of Amazon, right? Yeah. It was up there for about 10 days, I think. And then I don't know whether people complained or if it was the algorithm. I don't think it would be the algorithm because then it would never have gotten through the system because that stuff's pretty quick. Yeah. But I guess some people complained, which is a real shame. Um, as in, people are so hypersensitive about anti-Semitism that if you have criticism of Jewish ideas or policies and they immediately say you're being anti-Semitic, shut it down. They're preventing a discussion where we can find some solutions. And my fear is if you let the Jews do everything they want to do without any criticism, they're going to create a hell for themselves. Yeah, It's, it's not going to help them. Look what they're doing in Gaza. If they could do whatever they wanted to do anywhere, it, it, it's going to cause such a vicious backlash against you, them. You, you and the church, see. the Catholic Church, is the one who knows how to deal with this, with charity. So you, we you, need to hear the Catholic. See, you can see for the first time in a very long time that because they are trying to shut down conversation, they're actually losing control of the narrative with the Gaza situation. It's the, it's the first time I've ever seen real pushback mm -hmm. in the narrative that's coming forth from the situation over there. Yeah, I, I'm afraid, though, they're just going to have a fair complete. They're going to... Um, they'll have done what they wanted to do and the world will be too slow to realize. But it's all its all preparation for the end. God's showing us like that nothing hidden that will not be revealed. Evil is revealing itself in stages. The rejection of Christ is revealing itself and what that means, what the alternative is. So when a lot of people went along with divorce and then contraception and then even abortion, they didn't quite know where it was leading it's leading to the transgender mutilation of children. And in fact, that comes from schism. Henry VIII couldn't have got away with his divorce and his divorcing England from the papacy if we hadn't first had the orthodox schism from mm -hmm. the Russian Orthodox. Because the meaning of the, the church and Christ is as bride and bridegroom, right? If you yeah. can split the church apart, then you can also begin to split marriages apart. And then children become irrelevant and the male-female difference is obscured. And all this goes, it has its roots in Kabbalah and the Babylonian magic, which suffuses the Talmud. Um, and if we get round to it, Leonard Cohen's music, and I would say the divine will devotion, that lots of Catholics are into this divine will devotion. It's, it's nauseous. It's sick. If, oh, if you never compare heard it to the early heresies and see that's where it's come from. Divine will or divine or the divine mercy? 
Divine Will. Divine Will. I haven't heard of that one. Well, don't. <laughs> don't okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair. What What anyway. I found really interesting in reading this book was how, how much I was relating to the early chapters when you were describing because um, you were you grew up watching all these um, horrific stories of things that came out of World War II, right? Like the 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 mm -hmm. the, the different uh, the narrative that was set forth after World War II and just the the horrific things that were done to them you know during that war so you had this kind of uh pre pre con i don't i don't know if it's a preconceived or you know uh bias towards uh sympathy towards them but like you you were your mother was involved in like helping you see those things but then when you tried to throw some of those uh some certain things at your mom your mom was like no 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 you're missing something here like so it was basically for me i was such a a victim of neocon politics Mm -hmm. That is, you know, listening to guys like Rush Limbaugh and things like that growing up, that it was almost like even as a Catholic, because the Catholic Church had silenced itself so much on this topic that I actually fell for the narrative that uh, Christians should support Israel at all costs. And it mm -hmm. was a political narrative more than it had anything to do with religion or anything like that. So watching how you kind of like it unfolded for you along similar a similar path was really like interesting for me because this has been a, a slow process for me to come to also. Yeah. I've fallen for the propaganda as well. That, that is a political takeover of the world that depends upon lies. So there's, there's a truth about the Holocaust, which is surrounded by lies. And as those lies become apparent, one wants to ask, well, what's the truth about it? But it becomes illegal in certain countries to even start questioning it. And I think that's going to be disastrous for the Jews because it makes people, first of all, very suspicious that the whole thing's not true. But of course, there was terrible suffering of Jews there. It's just what really happened and why did it happen, we can't discuss. And if we can't discuss why it happened, then some real catastrophe is going to come. My yeah. mother, she was very you know, disturbed by what had happened in the concentration camps and she read a lot of books by Jewish authors after that. Um, but she remembers a Jewish lady in Haifa when she mom visited the Holy Land saying that the Palestinians are cockroaches and they should be exterminated. And obviously for my mom, that's like, well, that's terrible. That's yeah. not the answer. Yeah. But we see that happening now before our eyes. Yeah. And it's it's because the, I think because the church is not asserting the truth about the the covenants, the old covenants and the new that the old is finished and there is only one new eternal covenant now, and that Judaism is not the religion of the Old Testament. It's a rejection of Jesus Christ. So there's no such thing as Judeo-Christian. And if we'll understand that clearly, and the church can say this with charity, you know, and and lay out the history of it and get rid of this, overcome this lie that the church is basically anti-Semitic yeah. and has been through history. That's not true. And it, it's just, that's what the base reason why our liturgy has been torn to pieces. Mm -hmm. If you want to defend the traditional mass, we have to face up to the Jewish question and see why the changes to the liturgy began. It's, but we've taken this, and the scriptures, this false narrative, for example, that St. Paul and St. John 
are anti-Semitic. This is madness. It's crazy. Yeah. And they're it's finding true. fault with the scriptures. One of my favorite things that you're doing in the book is, you're, look, it, it, it's such an important thing that we are called to love our enemies, right? So no matter what we're saying right now, this is so important that Christ calls us to love our enemies. So the the anger in some ways should be placed on our hierarchy and our leaders who failed to protect us against the things that came down after the second world war. I like, like they're really, I don't think people understand how the second world war completely shaped how the second Vatican council went. You're mm-hmm. talking about men who went in, especially John Paul II and Benedict. These are men who lived through the second world war. Benedict was drafted into the uh, Hitler youth and John Paul II watched all the atrocities that happened in Poland. Now these men go into the second Vatican council with these deep, uh, almost like a deep shame as if they were the ones guilty of what happened during that time and they fall for the lie that that the church has been anti-semitic it's 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 a it's a wild thing that you really start to piece together and see how much this narrative has affected the church and the church's ability to even speak on this topic Mm -hmm. yeah so um i'm thinking we need to go over to locals because this is i want to get into some things that uh, this is just going to be too difficult of a, of a, I don't want to dance around anything. I want to be able to actually get into stuff. I have a clip I want to play. Um, I want to talk about, especially uh, you in one of the chapters, you talked about the, the most just policy that uh, the church came up with was in Rome, where they uh, prevented, uh, prevented people from in the old covenant, you know, I'll refer to them as that the people of the old covenant from taking positions of office in any kind of political situation and they presented, prevented them from uh, proselytizing, but they did allow them to exist and they were, you know, they were safe where they were, but this has morphed into something in modernity because like in the modern world where we stopped with that policy that has really twisted things around and it set us up for the things to come. So, all right, let's just go over there because I don't want to, I'm, I'm speaking in code right now. I don't want to. So, all right, we're going to jump over there, guys. If you, if you don't, if you're not on locals, you could go to Twitter and mine or Rob's Twitter feed or the avoiding Babylon feed. The whole show will be free there. You could go and listen there. You'll be able to comment from there or follow us over to locals. Okay. I'm cutting it from YouTube. Now. Okay, we're off YouTube. All right, so we're off YouTube. All right, so let's get into this. So, yeah, so you discussed um, the the idea of, uh, in, in Rome, the, that Jews were not allowed to hold political office, and they were allowed to exist. Rome said, you, you can exist in peace, you can't proselytize. Now, in the modern era, what we have is the separation of church and state. So if you really understand how the early church spreads, Christendom happens because Catholics are in positions of authority in the, the Roman Empire and in, in, in the Senate, things like that. And you start to get a Catholic, um, a, a Catholic uh, state, essentially. So by making the separation of church and state, what's actually happened is if you look at like Biden's cabinet, Biden's cabinet is like 95 percent Jewish people in that cabinet. So they're doing what the early church did. And you now have a, like a unification of state and synagogue, it seems. Yeah, I, th- I think it's 30 to 50% people of Jewish background in Biden's cabinet. Um, okay, I over-exaggerated the number. <laughs> but it is, it is a, it's a massive disproportion. 
So the civilization is built up when we adore Jesus Christ crucified. We adore him and the graces are poured out. And that should be public as well as in the deepest part of our souls, hidden away. And that's good for everybody. Everybody benefits, even if they're not Christian, because you have a peaceful order. And the church, early, very early popes, and notably St. Gregory the Great, around 600, and then to the Middle Ages, said that the Jews can't have public office or outsized influence and they very much limited usury, um, but no one should harm the Jews or molest them or damage their graveyards or prevent them from gathering in their synagogues for their festivals. And it worked very well. There's, there's Jews now in England and America especially, I think it's called uh, Natura Carta or something, and they sound like they fit in with this. They say the job of the Jew is to live the Torah and to live peacefully in whatever countries is in, respecting the laws of that country, not seeking any political or financial hegemony, and that Zionism is wrong. We're never meant to have a political military attempt to gain the Holy Land or build a temple. They say it would be an act of God. And moreover, they say we lost the land because we sinned. It's amazing to hear him admit that. They just don't realize yet what the big sin was, was crucifying yeah. the Son of God. Um but you could then have an ordered society. However, the rabbis who see the letter of the law, not the spirit, made life very miserable for many of the Jews under them from about, let's say, 200 AD to 1800, classical period of Judaism. And when the Jews start breaking free from that, from the control of the rabbis, their idea is, that the scripture is nonsense, that, that religion is oppressive. We need to break free from religion. And they bring that into the mainstream as they break free from the rabbis They're with Jewish emancipation. And lots of Gentiles get sucked into it mm. and into dumb theories of psychology and sexology in the centuries later and leaving us where we are today. So this is not trying to tell the Jews what to do. But to say Catholics, if we will be Catholic, we can have a peaceful order where there's just so much spiritual fruit. But if we won't be Catholic ourselves, then the, uh, the, the devil will take over society. Yeah. He, he will. It's either Jesus or the devil. There is no freedom from dominion. You're either subject to God and you serve him in worship or you're going to be subject to the devil, enslaved by him to sin and death. Um, so the, the church understood this and the, the, but because even the Knights Templar, their finances were the Jews and you know that the accusations against them when they were dissolved, I think around 1380 was that that sodomy, idolatry and usury or financial corruption. So and wait, the, the Knights Templar were funded by Jews? Well, no, the Jews were their treasurers, looked after their monies, oh, okay. which very quickly became vast. So in the beginning, they were awesome, these Knights Templars. They gave up everything. They were noblemen, so they're rich, but they gave up everything, lived in poverty, prayed the office, fought to defend pilgrims to the Holy Land. But the name of their order from the beginning was the Poor Knights of Jesus Christ and the Temple of Solomon. So the first part is brilliant. Yeah. Four Knights of Jesus Christ. But the second part, what do you mean Temple of Solomon? What's that got yeah. to do with it? 
that's the Jewish element that wants to rebuild the temple. So a lot of these accusations of sodomy, usury, and idolatry, I think, are false. It was the French king who wanted to destroy them because he wanted their money. Yeah. Um, but those three elements certainly attend wherever you have a, a Jewish order yeah. running the world. And so it ca carries on with the Freemasons, who are also, um, their very name is about the temple. The Masons are the, the stone cutters yet yeah, to build mm -hmm. the Temple of Solomon. And it, it, that's the plan of Zionism. Uh, although it's the devil's plan, not the people like Benjamin Netanyahu, who couldn't give a stuff about the temple. Yeah. But he is serving the devil's plan to try to regain the West Bank and old Jerusalem so that then others will come forward and build this thing. Well, the irony of all this, man. So, like, uh, there's so much in your book that I like. One one thing you mentioned earlier when we were when we first started the the idea of Judeo Christian. That term is uh, Christ and Antichrist. Like, they're, they're they're contradictory terms. It's an oxymoron to say Judeo Christian. And I wanted to actually because you said in the book you actually said the phrase Judeo Masonic because that's the term we need to popularize, right? So you get to. Uh, there's so much conversation around the Second Vatican Council and how uh, how the council uh, led to where we are today, but I don't think people really understand how much uh, it was like the the American intelligence agencies and Jewish um, pressure that was really on the Second Vatican Council. So after the Second World War, you have this Im in immense pressure to change the liturgy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's our fault for giving up these treasures when it's our job, especially the hierarchy and priests, to preserve and keep them. So, and I think that's what we're painfully learning now. Then when we let go of tradition, we're completely unmoored and disorientated. And the, the for example, I, I've just read something in the Talmud which would make Cardinal Fernandez blush. You know, his, his book about mystical passion. Um, the, the worst part of that is the blasphemous um, passage where he cites the apparent fantasies of a 16-year-old girl. I mean, that stuff mm. should never, ever be written down, nowhere. Yeah. And the rest of what he's going into, which is really not appropriate, especially for a priest to be writing these things or discussing them, the, the, the Talmud, uh, if anyone, I can't say what's there. It's so disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's in Sanhedrin, 55 or 54B and 55, anyone wants to look it up. It would make Cardinal Fernandez blush. Um, but it also has the funniest line in the Talmud, I think, not that I've read it all. It's where these rabbis are discussing sodomy, bestiality, child abuse, although they don't call it child abuse. So it, it's the most serious possible subject. And because they are into the letter of the law, it's such an odd way that they deal with it until finally one of the rabbis is quoted as saying, um, your question disgusts me. Such an act is not even possible because someone asked about something which isn't even so perverse. It's not, not possible. And I thought, thank goodness, finally they've brought an end to this sick conversation. But then in the next section, two more rabbis pick, pick it up and carry on with it. Um, the perversity that's in the Talmud, it, it's off the scale, as well as the, the, the blasphemy, which is yeah. 
a thousand times worse. Yeah, the things they say about Mary and Jesus are just atrocious. The 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 one of the main points you're constantly uh, bringing up in the book is that we're coming up on a time where our church leaders and even your your ordinary priests are so illiterate when it comes to the Old Testament that uh, when we're going to fall prey to certain things like, like so it it's this idea of the the Protestant concept of like Zionist Christians, right? That they're support Israel at all costs because they don't understand that Israel of the old Testament is not Israel of today. So when they right. read that, uh, you know, God will smite the enemies of Israel, they think that Israel the, that the state of Israel today is somehow the same thing. And they don't understand that the old covenant is not, it, it's done away with now. And the new covenant, like we are, they, they'll use terms like this is replacement theology. And as if that's a, a, a you know, a, a bigoted term or something, it's supersessionism, supersessionism, things like that. But it's no, the Catholic church is the new Israel, but you have so many Christians don't, understand what that is and including in the catholic church that as we're coming up on even these attempts to build the third temple you're going to have catholics and a lot of protestants falling for the antichrist when he comes because of it mm -hmm. i've just seen that question pop up just saying paul said that a jew is not one who is so outwardly and of the flesh but one who is so spiritually inwardly circumcised of heart Mm -hmm. So where you've allowed God's grace to soften your heart. So to give two, two examples of what you're saying of, of the illiteracy of the scriptures, you know, Paul VI, when he devastated the divine office as badly as they did to the mass, he removed certain Psalms and removed certain lines from them. This is so wrong headed. They're like censoring the Holy Spirit. So what Psalm 136 says that the daughter of Babylon is miserable and blessed is he who takes thy little ones, thy babies, and dashes their head against the rock. Now, if you understand that in an external, material, carnal way, it means you've got to smash the heads of babies open of your enemy. But the church has always understood that as a spiritual sense, that the rock is Christ, and we're supposed to dash against him our sin and temptations so that we, we keep a, overcome the enemy that way. And, but for Paul VI to remove that line from the divine office, it's as if to say we're all too retarded to understand the Psalms in a spiritual way. And he's afraid that if we read this, we're actually going to go out and do that to babies. Mm -hmm. Th this is a disaster because if the church is upholding the spiritual sense of the scriptures, it will help the Jews to realize that's not how they're supposed to deal with the Palestinians. There was the story that Hamas came in and killed all those babies and beheaded them. That was exposed really quickly as fake, and yet people still believe it now. But the trouble is when you make up that lie, then IDF soldiers go into Gaza and they're so fired up and angry, they don't care about babies being blown to pieces. But when they do that, then Hamas will retaliate in kind. So when you speak a lie, it ends up in murder. Um, the... The Levite priests and the Levite tribe, God gave them no territory, no land to inherit. He said, because I am your inheritance. Mm -hmm. So they could have a home and they could have the necessary fields, but they didn't have a big block of land like the other tribes. God said, I am your inheritance.
This the church understands. You know, every time a priest puts on his cassock in the morning, if he wears a cassock, you're supposed to pray from, I think it's Psalm 15, uh, the Lord is my lot, my inheritance. So the, again, the church understands we're not aspiring to get a piece of land on the earth. This is not what God is promising to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob ultimately, but it's life in heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, somebody asked earlier on, do you see any like parallels between the um the like Protestant services and this and and Judaism? Because they have basically it's like the okay, yeah, yeah. My question similarities between Protestant and Jewish worship because they have just the word. It's almost like the Protestant services are are synagogues. You know, they don't actually have yeah. uh, uh sacrifice in them. Protestantism is a result of Judaizing, which we're warned against in the New Testament. People coming with ideas from the Pharisees and rabbis who rejected Jesus. And so that's why they, they can't stand the papacy or Mary, the mother of God, or most of the sacraments, the Protestants. U ultimately, the, the Jews want the temple in Jerusalem so they can have an altar and a priesthood and start offering the lamb again, the sacrifice. But mm -hmm. we have that sacrifice in Holy Mass. That's what it is. So earlier, someone asked, are Catholics the continuation of the Second Temple? Right, the, the temple and all that material and the Holy Land as land is God is giving us a material sign to understand the spiritual realities, which, which are deeper and eternal. And with Jesus coming to definitively fulfill the covenant and teach it, we don't need those signs, but he gives us the signs of the sacraments, above all the Holy Eucharist. And that the... Protestants, why have they rejected that? Um, because they've been listening to the, the Jews hate that we have the continuation of the priesthood and that we have the altar, that we have the temple. Your body is the temple and the, the church is the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in, in your soul. Yeah. So they, Martin Luther, for example, learned Hebrew from the Jews, translated the Bible into German but he had all these Jewish ideas and then starts rejecting certain books of the Bible because they clash with the doctrine he's got. And although he had a certain theories about the real presence, which were false, within a few generations, you, you have Lutherans who have no real doctrine on that. And it's even worse with the Anglicans or other Protestants. Till you have now Protestants who will have a service and there's not even bread and wine and they don't even say we have bread and wine as science. They just have guitars, music, and a yeah. one hour of preaching. And this is very much the, the, the Jewish thing. It's all about a, the, the word, the Torah scroll. You know, the, the, in the synagogues, they keep the Torah scroll in something similar to, but not quite our tabernacle, where we keep the real presence. So we have the living word that is the fullness of being in our tabernacle. They have a dead letter. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Torah is to be honored. But it can't be compared to Jesus Christ, who is the law. He is the law. Yeah, there's some Protestants who actually say, like think that in John's prologue, when it says, uh, in the beginning was the word, that that is the, like they could, in their mind, you could just say, in the beginning was the Bible, and the Bible was with God, and the Bible was God. That is how how warped their understanding of Logos is, that they they think it just means Bible. It, it's It's pretty funny when you... When you really start to see, like, I've seen Protestants say, 
the Bible is literally Jesus. It's like, no, like you're, you're, you're no, the, the Eucharist is literally Jesus. Yeah. Um, I want to play a clip because I, I think it, it can be easy for people to hear what we're saying and think that we are uh, just giving one side of the argument. But I, I think this clip is important to play because you have to hear it from, this was a debate on Zionism. Now, in this debate, uh, a guy named Gavin McInnes joins a Jewish guy to defend Zionism, and they're debating against a guy, uh, against Nick Fuentes, who, uh, you know, he has the label of anti-Semite all over him. Nobody, he's, you're not even allowed to say his name. He's not allowed on any social media platforms because he will discuss this topic. Now, in this debate, somebody asks uh, the guy, Adam King, who's a, who's a Jew, they ask him, if you could get rid of two uh, one of two religions, which one would you get rid of? Would you get rid of Catholicism or Islam? Now, keep in mind what's going on in the Middle East, and you have the Palestinians fighting the Jews, and they have all this violence, and they're at war with the Muslims. It's very interesting that he does not say Islam. So, Rob, let's play that clip real quick, and then let's let's just see if that takes us anywhere. Two religions. Okay, if there, if you were given the choice, or you you had to get rid of one religion, and it was Islam or Catholicism, which one would you get rid of? Great question. Duh. What? What'd you say? Catholicism. What? <laughs> yeah. Of course. What do you think? Who do you think you're talking? You're you're on the debate wanna, stage. You guys Gavin, have we, we've something. known. We've well, known. Let him cook. Let him cook. Let, let me explain myself. You want to hear an explanation, or do you want my one word? Uh, no, I, we want the. Go off, please. All right. So here's the thing. Jesus <laughs> was a real man, and he brought down a teaching, and he had a, a, a vast menagerie of writings, unbelievable amounts of writings. Somehow the Catholics at Nicaea only saw it important to include Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Eusebius points out that the first 15 popes were actually Jews. So... In the beginning of Catholicism, when they embraced the other teachings of Jesus, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, and all these other Gospels, there was a lot more palpability between the, we, we can't call them Catholics because they weren't Catholics. Catholicism is really a Nicene invention, and it's a Nicene invention based- You could cut it off, Rob. I just wanted to get to that because he points out a couple of things there have. that I actually just want to- Okay, so first off, Eusebius does not point that out, but you happen to point out in your book that the first 15 heresy arcs are Jewish, right? Well- Not 15. I'm, uh, yeah. you know, I'm playing with yeah. words there. <laughs> it was the, the fifth pope, Pope Everistus, St. Pope Everistus, and a martyr his mother was Jewish from Bethlehem. And it, w it wouldn't hurt the church at all if a number of the early popes were Jewish. I mean, mm -hmm. all those on the day of Pentecost and on Calvary were Jewish. But it's absolutely false to say the first 15. Mo most of them were Roman or Greek. Mm -hmm. And Eusebius um, didn't say that. I I'd be amazed if he it says that anywhere. I don't think so. I've read Eusebius' church history. That's not at all. He doesn't say yeah. that. But but just but the, just, the, just the, to point out, I'm, not to cut you off, but he to hear it from him that, of course, we would get rid of Catholicism because in their minds, you have to understand – you have this split right after the ascension where you have a false church breaking off from the, tr from the true church. Now there is God's spirit starts to cover the earth and this kingdom starts to take shape. So mm -hmm. the Jews in their minds are from the beginning, they are seeing these Christians claim that the 
Jewish Messiah has come from its inception. The, the Jews are set up in, in, uh, you know, at odds with Christianity. Yeah. It's, I think that young man's very confused, but it's interesting that he's got those ideas from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, um, Judaism and Catholicism are antichrist and Christ. There couldn't be two more opposed things on this planet. So, and he, he's right and yeah, understandable that he, he he's honest in saying that. Mm-hmm. But it's complete garbage what he's coming out with all these writings. And he said the Gospel of Thomas and Gospel of Mary. So, and that the the church is trying to prevent people to get to these. The, the church declared around 382 in the Synod of Rome about the canon of scriptures and then the popes in 405 and 419 ratified this saying these are divinely inspired books the scriptures besides them you have apostolic writings like pope clement's letters which are awesome and holy and the patristic writings but then beyond these the point is they're not inspired the church said they're not inspired although they're good to read then there's all these apocryphal writings which he referred to which some of them are pious and imaginative some of them are fantastical it's a bit like islam actually um judaism gave rise to islam accidentally i think if Mm -hmm. we will see if we have time to get back to that um and others are horrible these apocryphal writings and and then you have the gnostic writings which are diabolical they're demonic so for example in the infancy gospel of thomas there there's this story that Jesus as a boy, this is any Catholic will know immediately this is garbage, it's horrible, I don't want to read this. He's walking through the village and another boy kind of shoulder barges him. And then Jesus turns around in anger and makes the guy drop down dead. (laughs) Uh, The little boy. And then the villagers complain to St. Joseph and Jesus makes them all go blind for complaining against him. And they tell St. Joseph, you have to teach your boy to bless and not to curse because he's killing our children. This is disgusting. And then it says, St. Joseph takes Jesus by the ear and pulled his ear hard. And, and that Jesus was angry with St. Joseph um, rebuking him. And there's satanic lies in there. And the same one said that Jesus made these 12 birds out of clay. And Joseph said, you're profaning the Sabbath, like you're some Pharisee. And then Jesus release them and they flew away into the air which this comes up with muhammad i think the islamic writing saying muhammad was doing these fantastical magical miracles um then there's the vision of saint paul written about 380 a.d which which there's a man supposedly living in a house in tarsus which was supposedly saint paul's house and it says an angel came to him and said dig up the foundation because there's a box where saint paul's written his revelation book of revelation there and the man didn't want to and the angel told him three times to do it and then started beating him up to get him to open it but since when does god send an angel to start beating someone up it sounds similar to muhammad's story right muhammad was tortured by an angel until he started doing things but you gabriel roaring at him to read 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 and he said i can't read i can't read i can't read you know and and then he has to read the quran it's it's nuts it's demonic i'm also seeing that um this idea that the church is a nicene invention you also see that in Protestantism. Protestants will sit there and they'll actually say that the Catholic Church is a, a 
Constantine created the Catholic Church. So you could see, like you were saying earlier, that Protestantism is born of these lies that you're seeing from Judaism that are crept in there. Because they, they killed Jesus because they, they on the pretext that if we don't, we will lose our land and our temple, right? They're just thinking carnally, materially, politically. And so when the church is born on Pentecost and starts growing, these others whose hearts are totally hardened, who refuse the gospel, and who only think in terms of political power and material wealth, they do form various sects who argue and want power. And because they think like that, they think the Catholic Church is the same kind of creature. So that she was the one that was so cunning in her pl plots that she prevailed over all other sects. <clears throat> the Catholic Church is not a sect. Yeah. She's there from the beginning. She's the body of Christ. Um, so they're unable to see that Nicaea is the same body as existed on Pentecost and with Our Lady at the foot of the cross on Calvary. It's because they're not part of it. They're literally spiritually blind. And they think that the spirituality of the church is as they are, just scrambling for power. There's another book, he, a apocryphal book, the um, Apocryphon of John. I don't know if you want me to get into it now, but it, it's really diabolical. And the ideas of that come through even to Leonard Cohen, you know, singing Alleluia. Yeah. And about 10 years ago, there's some Catholic priest. I saw singing. that, yeah. And although he used his own lyrics, this is the destruction of the liturgy. He's ending up taking on a song which is Kabbalistic, which accuses God of being a bastard monster who raped Eve. And she had two sons, it says, Yahweh and Elohim. This is the one true God. They're saying it's the two sons of Eve, and one was righteous and one was not. And God deceptively called them Cain and Abel. It's completely messed up. Yeah. And that the first emanation from God was this female being, the first thought, from whom came what they say is the heavenly Christ, meaning the Logos as if it's Neoplatonic rubbish, as if Jesus is a creature. It's Arianism. Yeah. That he, Jesus, that, that, sorry, the son of God was created, a demiurge. And it, it comes through into popular culture. And then you have Catholic priests. This should only be Gregorian chant sung in the church, plus some hymns in the right places, in paraliturgies, whatever. Um, but you, that you think you can end up singing a popular song that is going to get people listening to this Kabbalistic idea that we, the job of humans or of Judaism is to repair the face of God. They say creation was a catastrophe and it's God's fault because they don't understand Jesus redeeming our humanity by, t by the incarnation where he showed it's possible for a human being to obey every command of God. Where Adam had fallen in one thing he took from the tree, he disobeyed one command that was easy to keep. Right? Jesus had to come not just to repair that command, to say that command can be kept, but to show us every command can be kept. And he was obedient even unto death on the cross. So it shows us that human nature is perfect. It can be perfectly subject to God. But yeah. in our fallen state, we cannot. And yet Judaism, not understanding that Christ 
has shown the perfection of creation and human nature. Judaism denies original sin. It says it's a monstrous teaching. There is no original sin. And then Kabbalah puts the blame for the mess of the world onto God and says we have to repair God. And through all sorts of esoteric garbage that they yeah. attempt to do that. Sorry for blabbing on. No, no, it's 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 actually it's so interesting because okay, so now as you get into the 20th century, you start seeing that the church no longer is uh it's almost like the uh they convinced the, the hierarchy of this shame after the Holocaust that they weaponized that um that narrative so much that they they made it seem as if it was Christians uh, like like Hitler was doing what he did on behalf of the church or something. So they weaponize that. Then we go into the council and we have a hierarchy that is so ill-equipped to even uh, understand what they are doing. It seems right. I, I, like, well, if I, the, the reason I think ill through the 1800s, Protestants were coming out debating about which books of the Bible were act, written by whom and when, and this is part of that whole debate about these Gnostic books and apocryphal books. They're, mm -hmm. they're late, second, third, fourth century, and you haven't got a clue who wrote them. But they put themselves under the name of the apostles, whatever. And because they're full of this confusion and error, they start thinking that the Bible is the same. That when it says the gospel of St. Matthew, they're thinking, or St. John, who actually wrote it and when. And they come up with all these theories of late dating, you know, that the yeah. New Testament is the second, third century which is absolute nonsense. But with Protestant academics falling for this rubbish, and then Catholics, to keep up, start examining these theories and do a simple, like, internal criticism, they'll end up saying that Mark's gospel was written before Matthew's, which is rubbish. It contradicts tradition and all logic and truth. But you find Catholic seminarians, they're not learning the meaning of the scriptures. They're not learning how the whole Torah and prophets point to Jesus Christ. Instead, they're arguing that St. Mark's gospel was written first, and they think they're really clever. But once you think you've demonstrated that, the message is the early church was stupid. When yeah. she says Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, she didn't even know who wrote them and in what order. Yeah. She's just making things up. And then they start saying, well, the content is made up. So with the feeding of the 5,000, basically Jesus' message was share your lunch with everyone. Oh, man. <laughs> As if people are going to die and offer their lives in martyrdom for him who taught you to share your sandwiches. Um, but that's the – we are jealous of the Protestants because of their worldly success, because they're getting Jewish money to set up their Protestant universities. And they, they know how to promote people in the public square through the masons yeah um so we're not learning what the church fathers teach about the scriptures yeah and then we are liable for all the garbage that's come from vatican ii because we've we've we have put our eyes on the world and wanted that worldly success and worldly acclaim instead of as the, the fathers who would go into the desert you know, and some mm -hmm. of them would recite the Psalms every day, all 150, from memory. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, and now, yeah, but, ironically, in the new liturgy of the hours, they'll never 
recite all 150 psalms? No, a number have been taken out. It's been put onto a four-week cycle instead of one week. So I, I'm I'm a, 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 a bad priest, a sinful man, but th- this morning I woke up. One of the psalms, I woke up saying one of the psalms because you're doing it every week, eight mm. times a day. You just... It becomes part of you. It, it it's awesome. Yeah. But if you they they removed the hour of prime, Paul the sixth did destroyed it, or or Sacrosanctum Concilium, the flagship document of Vatican II, removed the hour of prime, which is supposed to be the beginning of the working day. Disgusting. Then they removed whole psalms and verses because they said these are, you know, violent, or they contain curses, as if God can't curse. Yeah. Well, the Bible tells us He can if we understand properly what that means. And they, they put it in the vernacular, which has destroyed the unity of the, the clerics who used to be able to pray the office together. Um, and they, they've made certain hours optional so that the, the, everything's so shortened that the priests aren't getting the formation, the exposure to the scriptures and the fathers and the, and the saints that you yeah. used to get from the office. It's as devastating as what's happened to the mass. Um, sorry. One of the great things you you show throughout this book, though, is that despite all of these things, despite all of the mistakes that the church, not the church, but that the hierarchy has made, that despite all these things, these are all working towards God's purpose. Yeah. And, and yeah. no matter how messy you think things are getting, these are all things that are working towards God's purpose as, as, as people are losing their faith and they're so worried and they're getting uh reaching levels of despair all these things are working towards god's purpose in the end yes so the first part of the book it gives these five reasons why god's allowed the delay of the conversion for the jews and how their opposition to the church and their enmity is actually serving to build her up like all the heresies they bring forward end up purifying doctrine when the church has to react and clarify so although the church had was clear from around 400 AD what belongs to the canon of the scriptures it was at Trent in 1546 that she actually anathematized those who denied those books Mm -hmm. because of Luther and the Protestants under Jewish influence rejecting canonical books and so that opposition helps us to have the truth in all clarity if we will listen to the pure sources so that um Guys saying we should listen to all these other Gospels. If you want to go to the forest to get mushrooms and you say, I will not listen to my mother or my grandmother who taught me which mushrooms are safe, you might get lucky and get a nutritious mushroom, but the next day you're going to get one that makes you hallucinate. And that's like yeah. this garbage from the Apocrypha which teaches you error. And the next day you'll get one that makes you sick and poisons you and kills you. That's like going to the Gnostic sources and getting heresy. But if you listen to your mother and your grandmother, which is the church and even the the Old Testament, then you're you're on the straight and narrow. You say you know which ones to pick and which ones to leave alone. You know which writings you can trust and what's garbage. And you have this then a sensibility, sense of the faith, that when things come up now like this divine will thing, you just think, no, that's so smacks of Kabbalah. And uh, who's that guy who died 16... 100 or 1400 Giordano Bruno. Oh, yeah. He's a heretic. He, he, he also said the devil can be saved. Yeah. Um, 
Michael Hitchborn just put out a video saying how Amazon Prime are promoting. Yeah, we, we just yeah we up. discussed we discussed that on our show Thursday because the thing is like because what we're talking about is how everybody's so illiterate of the story of Scripture. Now, what Amazon did is they're putting out a a. a a show that is a twisting of scripture. It shows that God created because the story of Lilith is actually Jewish apocrypha. It's like, uh, it's mm-hmm. that God created Lilith and Adam, but Lilith came from the dirt and she was rebellious and wouldn't obey Adam. So God casts her out of the garden. Then he takes Eve from Adam's side. So they take this story, but because people are so ignorant of the scriptures, you'll get people who actually think that is scripture. And now their yeah. mind is even more warped from it. Yeah. I, I know I know someone, it's really tragic, who who takes that and thinks it's good. And it's where you can see where feminism comes from. Mm-hmm. It, um they say the first emanation from God was female. And then this Lilith makes a, a kind of a deal with the devil. And in this has been hotel film, she's trying to get souls out of hell into heaven, which is an early heresy. Like mm-hmm. when it when you're damned, it's over. Yeah. When you if you die and you're not in a state of grace, it's over. There's no way to get into purgatory or heaven. But I can see why if you've rejected Catholicism and spent your life attacking the church, if you don't have the humility to repent and say, God, have mercy on me. I've spent my life attacking the church. um, You're going to be terrified of hell and you want some doctrine that says there's a way out of hell. But what, instead of inventing this stuff to say there's a way out of hell, why don't you just repent? Yeah. It's, it's so well, the idea, like even the idea that hell, because it's been back in the news again. Because Pope Francis said, "I hope you know, I have this hope that hell is empty." It's like it, people don't realize that for hell to be empty would make God a tyrant, because that would mean He's forcing Himself on you. If you want nothing to do with God, He will not force Himself upon you. You are choosing, in some sense, to do not have him be any part of you if you and if you want nothing to do with god in this life what makes you think you would want anything to do with him in the next life it, ma- it makes me think actually of um mccarrick right who has been declared he's unable to stand trial he's not doing any penance he's not admitting his grotesque sins so these abusers who don't admit it there's one french priest on his deathbed or a belgian priest laughing about abusing boys and he said you shouldn't abuse little girls that's awful but abusing little boys it's a bit of fun which is also a talmudic idea um they're going to hell unless there's some unseen visible miracle at the last moment they're going to hell and the we see jewish lawyers who want to bankrupt the church there's one who bragged about his aim to bankrupt the vatican by taking on these cases of child abuse and to get reparations for the victims compensation but it's the lawyers of both sides mccarrick's lawyers and the prosecution who are making loads of money out of this the faith will give their money to the diocese and it ends up going to the pockets of lawyers where i think the justice that would be much better for all concerned especially the victims of abuse but also the perpetrators is to see them prosecuted and go to prison for the rest of their life if not being executed Mm -hmm. if they're told in two weeks you will be executed that's going to focus their mind. And if they have the chance to make a confession, receive the last rites, they could actually get to heaven. If they that, would spend that sorry. two weeks to examine their conscience and think, I'm, I've done terrible, monstrous things to children. I, I'm sorry, God, forgive me. Because you will forgive when anyone repents truly and has the sacrament of confession and then the last rites. 
these this is this is the this is the part about the death penalty that people just don't understand the purpose of the death penalty has the person's soul in mind when they get the death penalty it's because when a person is facing their their absolute end and they know it is approaching it causes one to contemplate what meeting their maker right so the idea of the death penalty yes of course there is justice there and you're you know some people forfeit their right to life by committing heinous crimes but it also does have the soul of the perpetrator in mind and hoping that they do repent and seek god's mercy before they go and move on and i think it's used to be a society had cohesion and would protect itself a village would look out for everyone in the village and if some weirdo comes in and if you found out that he'd abused a child, people would beat the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. They want to protect the next generation. And we, we don't want vigilantism, but if you don't want vigilantism, then you need to uphold the law and prosecute these people yeah. with the full weight of it. And then the victims know they're being taken seriously as well. That society will not tolerate this. If you, again, thinking goes back to those different texts where people, if the, the Jews don't know which texts are from God and which are from below. If you could say to your kid, you can eat any food, then your kid's going to be unhealthy. If you can say you can watch any t- TV, the kid's going to be disturbed. If you say you can talk to any stranger, they're going to get abused. So if you don't, as the church says, this is the canon of scripture, the divinely inspired books. She's making sure we can have, not fall into the unhealthy, disturbed, abused souls. She's trying to be a shepherd to give the sheep good pasture. And if you say that is tyranny, that is the church closing down people's freedom so they can't read what they like. I, I, I think it's this ends up with where you can't condemn evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and think, well, we will... It, this all this stuff is serving to expose evil, I think, and the church is going to have to go hold her traditions and realize there's no other way for salvation than holding our traditions. Rob was even saying uh, the other day, he said, uh, <clears throat> after Francis is gone, the church will likely have to revisit some of the stuff from Vatican I and address papal, uh, you know, like papal limits. Again, yeah, because things yeah. were so crazy, like like you were saying, like some heresies will pop up so that the church can it'll work towards the good eventually. Now it might not happen immediately, but there this will get brought up again, and the church will correct itself because it will have to readdress some of these issues of you know papal limits, let's just say. Yeah. Um, and that obedience is not the only virtue, you know. People mm-hmm. think, oh, you just got to do everything. The bishop in white says, yeah. that's never been the Catholic idea. Never, ever. And how is it? That's a like a caricature of the church that the Protestants used to accuse Catholics of believing around the time of Vatican I. And now there are Catholics who actually believe it. Yeah. Um, but we won't get this correction, I think, under if we have a proper Catholic Pope soon. Yeah. It, it requires all of us to, to want to do penance and reform our life and to love the, the graces and goods that God gives us through scripture and tradition. Then there's a, there's a basis behind a good Pope who can lead and there'll be people to follow. If you put a, in a really good Pope right now, um, 
and he starts just telling the truth like it is, wow, we would see the hatred of the world come oh, yeah. really hard. Oh, really yeah. hard. I, I think that people, people don't realize that the reason there is no persecution right now is because you have Francis in there. Now, if you do get a holy pope in there who starts speaking those truths, you will see the outside world You'll see real Catholic persecution. You'll see martyrdoms and things like that. The reason you're not getting that is because Francis keeps flirting with the world in some of these documents and the things that he's saying on airplanes. He's flirting with the world, giving them the impression that the church is coming around to seeing things the way they see it. And it's one of the most diabolical things of uh, some of the things that he says is that it's giving them the impression that we're, we're getting there. Just be patient with us. We'll be Anglican soon enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So, all right, uh, I want to get. Uh, oh, I had one question, real quick. Um, in all of your research, do, have you looked into the veracity of some of the claims that that the Jews call blood libel? You know, such as like Simon of Trent. Have you yes. looked into those at all? Yes, um, I think with Simon of Trent, there's a book by. I, I, love, I can't remember his name. He's basically a Jew. He's the son of a chief rabbi, um, Ariel Toaf, maybe. And his book, he withdrew it because he was getting death threats from Jews because he basically concluded not all these blood libels are libels. You know, and I think what's happened is we know that children are sacrificed today in satanic rituals, and we know it happened in the nations surrounding Israel which we read about in the Old Testament, and that even Israel took it on, even to the level of their king's child sacrifice. It's basically never stopped. It's always happened, but it's not, I'm not saying this is only Jews who do this. It was the different nations who've done it. Mm -hmm. It's the the satanic people anywhere do this thing. What happened with the um, so-called blood libels is that I think there have been cases of it, a very few, and because of that, very corrupt Catholics have thought, ah, this is a way of attacking the Jews. And because uh, there's actually hundreds and hundreds of cases are alleged. I think most of them are fake. But that could only stand if a few of them are true. So there's, there's five I mentioned in my book, five cases where the boys have shrines in cathedrals or they even enter the martyrology or the church's calendar. Or there would be... Um, processions on their the day of their anniversary every year for centuries so the church took these very seriously and they weren't stupid in the middle ages they knew how to investigate um and the, the fact that popes would dismiss a lot of these cases as made up as false shows that she's interested in the truth and injustice mm-hmm. but the, I, I saw a video recently of a satanic mass where they are they have some wafer which they say don't worry the wafer's not got blood in it wasn't made with blood but the incense used to bless it was mixed with blood i think what blood and it might be some animal a chicken or a lamb because these are the satanists who are trying to put on a smiley face and say everyone's welcome come here they say you don't have to receive the way for your first time, but you will have to if you come again and again. Um, but the ones that are really dark, that aren't putting on this friendly face, they're not going to be content with the blood of chickens. 
They, yeah. Satan wants the most innocent and the most intelligent creature, which is a child. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's an inversion and mockery of the crucifixion and the mass. So there's mm-hmm. a, a naked woman on the altar, basically, and the priest offering bread and wine and drinking from a chalice in front of her. The, the video was done in a way that was, it didn't show any of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see that's happening. Um, it's so yeah. sick. It's so sick. And if if they're doing that, they're trying to pervert the mass. And it's in a way set out with like two pillars, like the temple was in Jerusalem. And the, the scroll of the book, like the Torah in the synagogue. And it has a Masonic look about it. So it's trying to combine the temple and the Masonic rites with the inversion of holy mass because they know that the the enemies of the church know that the sacrifice of the mass is the most powerful and therefore there's nothing more insulting to god than to turn it on its head they want to insult god they want to mock the crucifixion and so i think young boys have been crucified yeah in in order to fail to understand what happened between Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah, Genesis 22, and to mock Christ. And it's only a tiny number of people, I think, that do this. Tiny. But it has a, a, it's very powerful for what Satan gives to them. Except they will be in the deepest place in hell for eternity. So it's just, why why would people fall for this? Yeah, there are, I mean, there are clearly some dark rituals that go on at the upper upper levels of these of these cults but um i want to go back to because i want to start progressing towards what is coming um but i want to go back to just touching on on the roman policy of not allowing uh the jews in positions of of authority or in positions of uh uh, politics and things like that compared to where we are now where we have you know we'll have uh almost a unification of synagogue and state and this globalist thing that is emerging, this whole idea of a global entity, because it seems like it's the beast from the apocalypse that is starting to take shape. And it's really the city of man being built. Is that, is that a proper way to understand that you think? Yeah, I think so. And um, I wonder if in the, Earlier centuries, the church had this restrictive policy on the Jews enforced by law, taught by the church, enforced by the state, and then society can flourish and the Jews are protected. Having lost that, it's not necessarily that we can try and enforce it again, but we have to choose it again, which means we Catholics choose never to go into debt. Never. You're feeding the beast never to watch um, disgusting films or what comes out of Hollywood if it's not edifying. Because then we're, we're playing to their corruption. We're, we are doing it. Um, never to tolerate that. How is it possible that you have like Anthony Blinken after Madeleine Albright and Henry Kissinger, these Jews, basically causing so much war and the neocons and using American money and American blood to cause havoc. And it happened in Britain before that, you know, Britain has been um, 
run by Jewish interests for, for centuries and it ended yeah. up destroying us. And now it's America's turn. Mm-hmm. And if, if you have dual nationality, how can you hold political office? If, or if your allegiance is going to be to another country. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like everybody knows that what's, what's happening in the Middle East would calm down straight away if America wasn't funding it. Oh, yeah. We're, we're um, paying for the whole thing. We wouldn't have had World War One or Two if Britain wasn't basically run by Jewish interests. Disraeli was a Jew who converted to Anglicans and was prime minister just before mm-hmm. World War One, and then in World War before World War One, David Lloyd George is complaining about all these things that Nathan Rothschild wants, and he's saying, "Why is it that whatever Nathan Rothschild?" boycott something or disapproves, all the politicians follow him. And then Lloyd George is prime minister, I think, when the Balfour Declaration is given by his foreign minister. So he's completely pivoted around because he's got the power. Um, So, and then we we put such an impossible situation on the Germans after World War I that World War II was inevitable. Yeah. I, I think in the Weimar Republic, or no, under... Hitler didn't want a central bank that was going to be run by the Jews. And in as early as 1936, Churchill is saying, we're going to have to take him out. Wow. It's all about banking. And this yeah. is the thing yeah. about the causes of the, um, the Holocaust. Until 1941 or 42, the German practice, they were deporting Jews, uh, as, even to Palestine. That they were cooperating with Zionists to get to get Jews to go to Palestine. Yeah. They wanted the Jews out of Germany. Now, how much after 1942 in the barbarity of war turned to extermination? And a lot of Jews were shot or starved to death or worked to death in the death camps or in a weakened state, disease came a lot. Um, but it's not what we're told. And the point is that before that, in 1920s Berlin, was turned into such a depraved, sexually sick place by Jewish sexologists. And the, the, I think it was Maurice Pinet writing about how in France and Germany, uh, before World War II, even before World War I, it seemed that the Jews owned everything. They were buying up all the business and the properties through their banks. And this same happened in Ukraine and Russia in, in the 1800s with unfair economic con- competition. People aren't anti-Semitic. They don't hate the Jews. But when the Jews start um, charging way too much interest on debt, so they're breaking businesses, taking all the farms, taking all the the properties, of course people resent it. And when they start corrupting Christendom, which is our dumb fault for allowing their sexual perversity, that if, and if, again, anyone who doubts this, go and read Sanhedrin 55 in the Talmud. Sanhedrin 54b and 55 about sodomy, bestiality, child abuse. Well, and- well right, right. Look, you, you can't defeat Catholicism through argument. You just can't do it. I mean, it is the most coherent, uh, coherent way of making it, sense of everything. I mean, it, it's just a description of reality. So, the yeah, description you can't of reality. It. the The way you, the way you destroy it is by subverting it through sin. So you inject these different Mm -hmm. things to get because uh, look sin dulls the intellect and when you get this is why especially 
this generation who has such access to things on the internet, if you are not guarding your heart and soul and eyes against the filth on the internet, you will fall prey to so many things because you are now dumb. You're in a weakened state. Your intellect is dulled. So if you start putting these things into the culture, you get, uh, you get an entire culture of people who are docile and they are just so hooked on their vice that they aren't even willing to rise up when something like the government shutting us down for a cold I mean, yeah. we did nothing. We sat back and did nothing because people were just content sitting in their in their dens, looking at the uh, sitting in their bedrooms in private, viewing their filth on the internet. I mean, they have completely controlled a, an entire population through vice. So we need to become saints, so that even when that stuff's out there and available, we're not interested. Mm-hmm. And this is like the perfection of the church, when although the stuff's available, we don't want it. To to go back to Germany in the 30s, because it's run by pagans, Nazis, who are not Catholic, they don't know how to deal with the Jews. because So they're trying to deport them. Say, we can't live with the Jews. They're destroying German society. Imagine what Bavaria, how Catholic is Bavaria. And they they don't want, they they see Berlin, and they don't want that to come to Bavaria. Mm -hmm. And the revolutionaries and the Masons, even... Churchill admits that the 1848 revolutions and what came after, they're led by Jews who want to destroy German culture, destroy that Catholic culture. And the Jews say that as well. We need to break down everything so we can build a new order. And they've never, ever reached the second stage of building something up. The revolution is always destruction. And it's a diabolical hatred of Christ. So the because Germany was the Protestant revolution. And then, so it's the power is not with a Catholic understanding. They want to deport all the Jews. And then in the monstrosity of war, of course it gets much worse. And and the, the cruelest of men start taking out a savagery on the Jews. They, they're working them to death. And then they just count Jewish life as worthless. This is abominable. I read something recently about after the war, Jews came and got German women to dig up corpses, which were black and putrid. And they forced these women with violence and threats. They had to start embracing and kissing these corpses. This is Jewish revenge. I think this is so sick. Mm. It's not as simple. We can't just say it's the, it's the Nazis. It's something diabolical setting Jews and Gentiles to hate. And if you don't have the policy of sicket judeus non, which means the Jews can't have this, will this financial influence, like with BlackRock, forced behavior on sexual perversity through the boardrooms of all the biggest companies of the world. If you can't have Jews taking political office or in the top of the administrations, like Blinken, who's basically doing everything Netanyahu wants for genocide then you end up with, with the, the Germans trying to deport Jews and then um, they're the, the causing so much death. The Catholic Church has the answer. And even these rabbis who I mentioned earlier of Natura Carta, I think, they say the Jews should live peaceably in their nations, not trying to grab political power, yeah. respecting the laws of the, the nation, 
and wait upon God, who through a massive miracle will restore the land, Jerusalem, and the temple. And I think, in a way, they're right, but the miracle won't be what they expect. It will be their conversion to Catholicism, and they'll see that Holy Mass is the sacrifice. And they, they're, they're waiting on God in a sense of penance for a sin, which they don't yet admit was the crucifixion. Um, I've, I've seen them debating people and protesting. They seem to have a, hu a humble spirit. Yeah. You know, that, so the answer's there. But the church has to have the courage. The courage. That's what I, that's what I would say. The courage. I think. I think that there's there's such a weakness of people to look. Even this conversation we're having, <laughs> we're going to catch blowback to this conversation. It's well, a, yeah. we were afraid to have it on YouTube. I mean, right? We're we're all self censoring. Yeah. We're all afraid. As soon as you start touching the Holocaust narrative, you, you get, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to wind up having a, you know, but the thing is, if you're not even allowed to talk about these things, you, that's when the resentment gets built up. And that's when horrific things are taken in revenge towards a people like the, these conversations need to happen. And I think people need to um, even be willing to listen to them. I think some people will just harden their hearts and won't even listen to these conversations for fear of being labeled something. So I, I went to Dachau around 2009 and saw what had been said was the gas chamber and the crematorium for the bodies. And it, I just was amazed by how small it was. Um, and then it, it's, I don't know if they'd already admitted by then, or they were just toying with it, they've admitted there was no gas chamber in Dakar. That was for delousing the clothes or, and burning the old clothes, whatever. Um, in fact, there were no gas chambers at all in any of the German territory, what was German territory before the war. Those, where they say there were gas chambers, is all where the Soviets liberated, from Poland, for example, where it's impossible to really verify. Verify. So, so the one in Auschwitz now that everyone can visit, the gas chamber and the chimney, they were built by the Soviets after the war, or they redid a certain building. They knocked out the inner walls, took out the toilets, it seems, put holes in the roof where they said the gas canisters were dropped. And in a way, they're saying that we're making a memorial so people can understand what happened. But there's no hard evidence for them. Now, the Germans did gas uh, Ukrainians in the back of trucks. They pumped the exhaust yep. fumes back into the truck to gas whole truckloads of Ukrainians. And they also gassed some disabled people because they had this euthanasia program. Um, and so I can believe that they scaled up even yes. to, to gas Jews, which is diabolical. It's terrible. This, the church would never stand for, for such a practice in her teaching. But it's not what we're told about in Auschwitz, where we're told after the war, four million people were killed in Auschwitz. And now it's admitted 1.1 million died in Auschwitz. So... And yet they still I think the most I think, I think the most horrific thing really is this perception that th that this was done on behalf of Christians. Well, no matter what happened there, that it was done on behalf of Christianity. So now so now you get uh you get this guilt put on Christians as if this is this is well, our they, doctrine to, to they murder to say it's Gentiles, in fact, wider than Christians. It's just any Gentile, any non-Jew. They think we have this hatred and envy of the Jews. But I'll, if I remember, go back to the Apocrypha again, where they get this idea or where this idea is promulgated. 
And the, the disaster is, though, if you believe that, like some um, prisoner from Belson after the war in 1945 is standing outside Belson with a sign saying six million Jews gassed straight after the war. Now, it's just impossible. Anybody knows that six million were gassed because so many were worked to death, starved to death, shot. How could they have been all gassed? Yeah. And in fact, it wasn't six million. It, it's, it's almost certain, looking to it, it's not six million. It's not even close. But it's still a terrible thing. But if you believe and you're allowed to say six million gassed and you're prosecuted if you question that or question that it was a total of six million, there's a deranged psychosis now among Israeli children who are brainwashed with this, that the Gentiles want to wipe them out. That's why they support what's happening in Gaza. And they would support that to happen in Lebanon and Syria and Jordan and anywhere. Go, uh, the Apocryphon of John says that with this catastrophe that was creation, God was shattered and the divine sparks went through creation. And they are the Jews who need to assemble together to recreate the face of God. This is what Lenin Cohen sings about towards the end of Alleluia, repairing the, the face of God. Um, and that the other souls are created from Satan and they're evil and they're destined for hell and that's it. And that's all of us, the Gentiles, the Goy. So when you have this superiority complex that you're part of God and other people are part are just of the devil, yeah. then of course that's going to cause social blowback and discomfort and tension that breaks out in pogroms. And when you take over, like, could it be that in America people say, we see how the neocons and the Jews have co-opted American power to cause war and we're fed up with it. Mm -hmm. So if you could do that in a measured, rational way with charity and say, okay, well, let's deal with this problem. Let's legislate. The, the, the Jews and the banks can't have this power. Yeah. Then the thing can be done peacefully. But if it's going to be some purely political or resentful supremacists, whatever, doing this, it's going to be violent and horrible. Yeah. And the problem will never be solved, never solved, it, until the next nation learns its lesson and realizes that the church has to be Catholic so that it, there can be a peaceful order. It's like what I think is, might ha end up happening in Europe with the, the waves of, of, of Muslim immigration there because the nations themselves aren't handling it and aren't handling it in a responsible and peaceful manner. The only that's way the, the people are going to end up have, handling it is probably through violence. That's the plan, I think, to set Muslims and Christians against each other everywhere. But I think God has this in hand that what if a lot of those Muslims convert, they'll be very well placed and then go back to their home countries where you can't get a big Christian presence and evangelize the Muslims in, in a language they understand. Who, who knows? Who knows? But yes, because we are falling for the Jewish hatred of the nations and resentment that we have, they want to destroy us all through mass immigration, destroy our yeah. cultures. So you have this monoculture where the Antichrist can then take over. And I don't think they're doing this necessarily because they're part of a conspiracy or a plan that they understand. They genuinely feel that a nation state is something dangerous. They think it leads to Nazism, it leads to a Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we have to destroy all patriotism, all nationalism, in order to have a safe and peaceful world. But that's false. 
it's against the natural law to destroy nations. Um, and so it ends up, it's going to have a, a catastrophe again. It, isn't that um, largely like the goal of, of Freemasonry as well as a global fraternity, globalism, more or less? Yeah, the, the contradictory positions of the globalism and the hypernationalism, which are both Jewish, like the hypernationalism we see in Israel, mm -hmm. where they just think it's, this is our land, we're taking it all, and we'll, any amount of slaughter will justify that. In fact, the, the Jews have no right to Israel. We should understand Israel has no right to exist. People say, and this is we've been brainwashed with, every people have a natural right to a homeland. The Jews don't have a homeland, therefore let's find a patch of territory for them. Nothing seems more suitable than Israel, so let's facilitate that. This is false. Natural law is based on divine law. God's the creator. Natural law is whatever is in accord with reason, but it's subordinate to the divine law. In We read in Genesis and the book of Acts that God gave the various nations their borders and times. He foresaw this to create the, the various nations and give everyone a place. And then with Abraham, because of his faith, God promises a land. Um, and Moses gives the covenant that Moses never entered the Holy Land, but said, if you go in and keep the covenant, you'll flourish in the land. If you break the covenant, you will be removed from the land. <clears throat> so the Jews were given land on a condition that, that they, they keep the, keep the covenant. covenant and worship truly. So in crucifying Christ, they lose that right to the land, which is from God for the sake of yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by the way, which is, uh, if we have time, so that's a Trinitarian. It's so Trinitarian. God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You think, is that a repetition? Isn't it the same God? Why doesn't he just say the God of Abraham? No, no, because he's trying to teach us about Father, Son, and Spirit. You can't be of Abraham alone and say, well, I'm born of Abraham. Therefore, I'm one of the chosen. I inherit the land. But And Jesus said that to the Jews. It's not enough. You need to understand what he's done with Isaac. You need the, the, the obedience of the son as well and baptism in Christ. And that's not enough. You can't say I'm baptized, therefore I'm saved, like the Protestants say. False. You need to live in the Holy Spirit, which is represented by Jacob, who's always fruitful. Um, and so mm -hmm. God's saying, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus telling us that they are in heaven and nations will come from east and west and north and south to dine with them at the banquet. It's saying how you're coming to a Trinitarian God if you are have the Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in you. So you, after baptism, you need to remain in the state of grace. And if you fall out of grace, you need to go to confession. The Protestants don't have confession. They need mm -hmm. to make a perfect act of contrition to get him back into grace. But that's harder and harder to do the more you fall into sin. A perfect act well, of contrition. Before I, before I really... Okay, so my, my original... Um reversion so i grew up catholic then my original reversion was through like protestant radio you know because uh, i had fallen away from the church i really was never given a proper um uh catechesis growing up so i come in through protestant radio and i'm like i give my life to jesus in the car one night you know and i remember like doing it several times because i wasn't sure it stuck it's like to really give that perfect act of contrition, like you said, it gets more and more difficult each time. You can have that, uh, for a lack of a better term, that born again experience, you know, because obviously born again means baptism. But, you know, what, what a Protestant would say is born again is when you just have that uh, that uh, act of repentance and asking God for forgiveness. Like that one may be genuine, but the one well, after. 
even that's not enough. Um, it, it has to be for the sake of God rather than oneself. So you're sorry that your sins have offended God. You're not. It's not your sorrow that your sins will bring you to hell, which is a good thing to have, by the way, a fear of hell. And th that's why you go to confession. But if your the reason of your sorrow is because they have offended God, that's pure contrition. But if that's true, then you won't keep doing it. Or yeah. it, it gets harder and harder to have that love and repentance if you do keep falling into it. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. It's just that the land is given for a reason. When they crucify Christ, they lose the land. So the Jews don't have a right to the land. And the, the fact that Zionism has been established through lies and bribery, manipulation, the falsity of international law, and by terrorism. And it can only be upheld by the most grotesque oppression of the Palestinians, who a lot of people, even Protestants and even Catholics, think, well, they're these dangerous Muslims. It's good. Then you've lost... You've lost if you don't love your brother who you can see, you can't love God who you don't see. Yeah. Um and prior to nineteen fourteen, ten to twenty percent of Palestine was Christian. So yeah. it wasn't just Muslims that have been kicked off their land. Right. And the the Jews and the Christians could live in the Holy Land under the Ottoman Empire. The Muslims mm -hmm. aren't there to slaughter all non Muslims. Mm -hmm. They did they do oppress them, right? You are a second, third rate citizen. But it's it's not true that the Muslims want to slaughter everyone who's not of Islam. I'm not adv advocating for Islam, right? It's, it's all yeah. error. But we can't allow this Jewish story of Islam to inform our thinking about it. You know that what where Islam came from is, is also well. That, I was just going to ask you. I was going to say, let's go back to that because you had mentioned that you think Islam comes out of of Judaism somehow, right? Yeah. That in the seventh century Arabia, there's all these nomadic tribes, some of them polytheistic, um, and they have tensions with the small number of Jews who live there. And there's often skirmishes, and often the Arab tribesmen would win, and the Jews would be severely hurt. And then when things quieten down, the Jews would say to them, We will get our revenge, you will see. We know that our prophet is coming. He's, we are the people of the book. God's given us a book, and he's promised us a prophet that Moses said, we'll raise a prophet from among your brethren, Deuteronomy 18, 18. And he will dominate the world and subdue all our enemies. So this is the Jewish messianic program, right? Political takeover of the world to subdue all your enemies because they think they have the Torah uh, that promises them their political messiah. Then... Muhammad's wife and uncle, I think, get this idea from Satan. Well, let's tell Muhammad that he's the prophet, the one promised by the book, and he's going to subdue the world and destroy all his enemies. And Satan definitely works on Muhammad, who goes away from his visions vomiting and terrified and suicidal. But Muhammad's wife um, was quite smart, knew how to manage him, and his uncle was quite authoritative and diplomatic with bringing a coalition behind him. So Muhammad says, I'm the promised prophet that Moses spoke of. We are the people of the book and we're going to establish this world order. So the Jews didn't want that, but because they refused Jesus Christ as the true Messiah and that Moses was speaking of Jesus, as Peter said on Pentecost, because they're blind to the true Messiah and they say he's going to come, then Muhammad filled the gap. 
He filled yeah. the hole that they left by not acknowledging Jesus. And it has that carnality about it where you think that heaven is something um, sensuous. Yeah. Which yeah, with the 70 not. virgins that they're going to get and the other. Do you yeah. think um do you think Islam because if you look in the Old Testament, you see God will raise up foreigners to chastise his people, right? So you see he brings the Assyrians in to chastise us. Um, do you do you think Islam plays a role in salvation history in that and maybe in that way? Because I don't think it's a coincidence that Mary appears in Fatima and the only women the Quran speak of are Mary and Muhammad's daughter Fatima. So it, to me, it seems like there's going to be some way that God uses Islam, whether through their conversion or through some other means to be a part of the story of salvation history. Yeah, very, very much. And to go back to that clip where that Zionist said he would sooner destroy Catholicism than Islam. Um, the Judaism and Catholicism are the two opposites that are so far apart. Mm -hmm. um, because of the rejection of Christ crucified, that there are, I've, I've heard one elderly French rabbi saying there needs to be a retrial of Jesus. And he means this in a good way. I mean, we don't want to see God put on trial. It's nonsense. But he realizes that they broke the Mosaic law in what they did to Jesus, that Jesus was good and that he didn't sin or offend. And that Jews need to admit that. This is awesome that a rabbi should be saying this. And if, unfortunately, there's other Jews who are just not interested who or who despise Jesus. This is the problem. And Islam, however, they're, they're wrong about the crucifixion. They say it wasn't Jesus on the cross or he didn't die on the cross. But they, they have a kind of, they say, peace be upon him. Mm -hmm. So they don't have the hostility to Christ crucified that Judaism has. Apart from this... Rabbi, who I hope is the beginning of something bigger, he was asking for money to support his movement. <laughs> uh, um, God will do this if he wants to your yeah. hearts. Tell the truth. Tell it boldly. Don't wait for money. Just get out there and say it. Yeah. And Jews will hear it. I, th I think that's where the conversion will come through. These rabbis who I mentioned, the Keturah and Natura Rakata, they love the Torah. If you're studying the Torah, you will find Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah but the, when you the, go to the Talmud, you, you're lost. The, the funny thing is, but that same guy that we played in the clip had another clip where he was talking about all of the all of the things the Messiah must do to fulfill it. And he's like, all the peoples of the world must must uh, come to them. And it's like, do, do you really not see that's what happened? It's, yeah. it's like all the peoples of the world are in the universal covenant. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter any of that. What matters is you are part of the universal church once you come into the Catholic church. Like all the things that he said the Messiah must do, I'm like, yeah, Christ fulfilled that. Christ fulfilled that. Christ fulfilled that. But they yeah. just can't see it because they see everything on a natural level and they see it as the Jewish people restoring, the, you know, going beyond the Davidic borders of the Davidic kingdom. And, and it would be a Jewish empire upon the earth is what they see it as. Yeah. So then we, we spoke in our last video, I think, about how Islam are keeping the Temple Mount, preventing the Jews yeah. from rebuilding the Temple. And I think if the Christians had it, we would have given it back at Vatican yeah. II or something. I, I shouldn't say given it back. We would have handed it to the Jews and said, oh, build your temple, brothers. And that's like catastrophe. Then the world yeah. ends too soon. Um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's, too soon. He, he's, there's a significant... 
a significant faction of Christians who think building the third temple would be a good thing. Yeah, they don't that, understand. You're building a temple for the Antichrist to reign. Well, there was now an American bishop who, in December, initiated uh, her Kuna festival, whatever, a Jewish festival of lights, and lit the menorah, a little menorah in his wherever they had this ceremony. He, a bishop, is basically instigating Jewish rites in some interfaith meeting that is a mortal sin. Like yeah. St. Thomas Aquinas would say, well, everyone would understand before that, because the Jewish rites proclaim Christ is yet to come. And the temple, that's the meaning, he's yet to come. But since he has come in the flesh, you don't need that temple anymore. Yeah, The temple it, points to his body. He, he like said that, right? Jesus Bishop said Brennan that. in Brooklyn? You talk, you, talk about a, you talk about a star falling from heaven. I mean, that's what that is. A bishop who teaches something like that. That's a, So when you see in, in the apocalypse language, like a star that fell from heaven, that's usually a bishop or somebody in the hierarchy teaching something diabolical to the people. Yeah. And the, um, the, the Psalm said, we will not fear if a, ma a mountain be cast into the sea. And the fathers talk about how the mountains around Jerusalem represent the apostles and the doctors, you know, so defending Jerusalem are great teachers. But if we see a mountain thrown into the sea, like a cardinal falling, we shouldn't fear because God is round about Jerusalem. God is round about the Catholic Church. And he will safeguard those who love him and put him first. Um, exciting times. Yeah, well, that's the thing. We are in exciting times. Like, I, I think people really, uh, a lot of people fall into despair in times like this when you really shouldn't. You should see that things are chaotic right now because God is preparing something for us. Like, there's something on the horizon for us, and God... God is going to make make something soon. Um, now, the main point of the whole book is that at the end of time, there will be a mass conversion of the Jews that will be regrafted onto the branch, onto the onto the tree of life. Yes. Right. Yeah. And we see this uh, fig figured, prefigured through the Torah, and also in the Book of Tobit. Um, where the, the father falls blind in a strange way and his son goes off with an angel on an awesome mission. And this is the blindness that has fallen on the Jews, on the father. Then the son goes off and achieves his mission and goes through a mystical passion in defeating the devil, the big fish, with the angel guiding him, which means the divinity and humanity of Christ working in a pair, Tobias the son and the archangel Raphael. Um, and then he, he, the son, Tobias, marries Sarah, which is about acquiring the bride, the Gentile people, all the world, and then coming back on the journey, enriched with a, a debt that he his father had lent money, and he brings it brings it back, and then cures his father's blindness using the organs from the fish, which means using the goods and fruits of the passion, and his the scales fall from his father's eyes, and he sees his son, and recognizes him which is about the Jews realizing Jesus is the son. And then they go into the house and fall down and worship God, which means going to mass. Mm -hmm. um, St. Bede lays it all out just beautifully. And he says this is about the conversion of the Jews and it explains how, as well as everything in the Torah. So it, it will happen. And this is as well why we need to have the, the more charitable we are to Jews, then 
that more naturally, easily that conversion can come. Mm -hmm. But if we are so frightened of challenging the Jews or rejecting their ideas and their power, um, I think that's a, a heartless indifference where we're just kind of saying, let them go to hell, which is really awful. We, we, we have to hold on to our faith, not fall for their infiltration of the church, their lies about the covenants. Um, and the thing, if you get the ADL after you, I guess that's so traumatic. <laughs> Nobody wants to take that fight. It, Nobody, it, it, you, don't, you don't want your con box filled with these comments of people calling you anti-Semitic. Yeah. You know, oh, go and read Vatican II, you're, you know, whatever. Um it's horrible to get waves of that, yeah. but but if you see your your brother is lost and facing hell, you better not bend. Yeah, that's an interesting point you brought up because to to actually not have these conversations really is to say, just don't even bother with these people. Just let them go to their own destruction, that, and that, and yeah. that really is wicked. Yeah, and we're not even, I'm not advocating that we get in their faces or hassle them, you know, or enter their synagogues. This is not what the church taught, but we have to hold our traditions. So if we will uphold our pre-55 liturgy on Good Friday and pray for perfidious Jews, which means going against the faith, then all Catholics know that the old covenant is gone and dead. And that it's the Judaism is a rejection of Jesus Christ, which is against the faith they're called to. Just by having that in the Good Friday prayer, yeah, but somebody, not somebody everyone's going to notice it every year, but it will come up in conversations. People say, "Why don't we remove that word? The Jews want us to remove it. Let's be nice and remove it." Then you need to have the conversation, and the priest needs to teach. No, 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 no. We need to keep it mm -hmm. for these reasons, and in, well, there's other other reasons as well, plenty. Um, that is a concern for their salvation, that we just be Catholic. We have to be fully Catholic and show the happiness of not, for example, accepting the transgender ideology. That None of those people are happy. Yeah. There's so much suicide. Yeah. Yeah. And the, why they're searching for an identity. You know, as a Catholic, if you grow up going to Mass every Sunday, you know who you are. You're at home, you're, and you're surrounded by other families who are going to Mass. And as a little kid, I mean, a little kid, you that gives you your picture into the wider society and the God, that you go to Sunday Mass. If you don't have that, no wonder you're searching all the time for your identity. And that the Jews who've broken free from the rabbis and Orthodox Judaism um, end up coming up with all these wacky theories of like Freud about what's going on in us and people searching for their identity. You know, it shouldn't be that hard. Your, your, your identity is you're a creature of God who becomes a son through baptism. Yeah. Um, and your destiny is heaven. If you will follow him, that's just awesome. We, we don't have to have this. Um, insane search into every dark corner and, Thing that if you're trying to find the answers, basically the devil will will slip the answers to you. Yeah. If you're not listening to the, the Holy Mother Church. 
Well, you see, you see, even like what you said there. So, uh, so many people have this misconception that everyone is a child of God. Like, mm-hmm. no, everyone's created in God's image, but not everyone's a child of God. Like, we receive adoption, divine adoption through baptism. That is when you become a child of God. So, to sit there and just say, "Oh, everyone's a child of God," and actually, that even that subtle little twisting of that teaching has change the way people have conversations with people and the way they view how you should. So there was, uh, I I saw Larry Chap wrote a criticism of Bishop Schneider's catechism. And I actually pulled this, this quote up. I just wrote it down yesterday. It was, uh, he was criticizing Bishop Schneider for the way he said, uh, the, the, the old covenant is no longer valid. And he said to say such a statement, to say that such statements are tone deaf to the sensitivities surrounding the history of Christian anti-Semitism is a gross understatement by several orders of magnitude. Because this is the the the, the narrative we were talking about that came out that they've convinced Catholics and Christians that they are the cause of anti-Semitism well, it, and that they, they just have this un, un irrational hatred of Jews. Yeah. It sounds like it sounds like Larry there is would rather be would rather avoid the truth than be considered anti-Semitic. So I mean, he's, he's not even saying I'll, that it's I'll false. Try and, if you ever watch this clip, I'll say something that might help him understand what's really going on. But just to, we, we don't even say we're children of God so much as sons of God. It's not about being sons and daughters. It's about being incorporated into Christ, the son of God, second person oh, wow. of the Trinity. So even there, the, whole confusion of agenda comes in when you have to say children of God or sons and daughters. Now it's true in the Vulgate where it says filii, that can mean sons and daughters. And they're just using the male form like man encompasses man and woman in certain Mankind, contexts. Basically. So no one's denying that women are going to be um, incorporated Adopt. into Jesus Christ. Yeah. But it's even like ontologically it's as sons of God. It's interesting as Christ, yeah. the son. And then for the anti-Semitism, a, a Jewish author, I don't know if it was Israel Shrak, I might be wrong. He was saying when you had pogroms against the Jewish landlords in Russia and Ukraine, it's because you had the landowner class who were the Russian nobles, Orthodox. They employed Jews to collect the rents. And the Jews would hike up the rents for the poor peasant farmers so they could hardly pay. And when there'd be a pogrom, it was very much against the injustice that they're suffering in the bailiffs, not against Jews as such. They're not bothered if the peasant isn't bothered if he's being oppressed by a Russian or a Jew. But he's bothered that he's being oppressed. And they can't quite reach the nobles. It had to wait till the revolution to do that, the Bolshevik revolution, executing the Tsar and his family. But in the meantime, you could get pogroms against the intermediate class who are making your life miserable. Mm. This is a Jew who's writing this. He's saying, don't think that the Gentile people or the medieval Christians, it's not that they hated Jews. It's that they hated for example, the misery that usually caused. Uh, even like Shakespeare writing about the merchant of Venice, Shylock the Jew, wanting his pound of flesh. Yeah. To, to, if a debt can't be paid, you you will 
wreck someone's life so that everybody else sees that oh, you better pay your debts. Yeah, you better pay. Yeah. So there's a, a reason for this. And the, I think the Jewish teaching that they are the chosen people who uh, have a right to wipe out Amalek if he stands in their way or doesn't help them, in fact, um, and that we are sparks from God, not like the guy from Satan. Not every Jew believes this, by the way, but this, this is a Kabbalah which runs the show. If you feel that superior to everyone else and have contempt for everyone else, no wonder they think that that's what is how we feel about yeah. them. Or they think we have a resentment and a jealousy of them. So they need to be on guard against us. And how then can we... It's, almost, it's projecting, on? right? They're projecting. Yes. Yeah. And when they all tell us we're all anti-Semites and we're all guilty for the Holocaust and we all would do it again if we're not subdued by the law, subduing freedom of speech and inquiry into this. Why do people take that garbage on? Can't they look in their soul and say, look, I don't, I don't have a hatred of the Jews. In fact, yeah. for most of us, I don't care. I've never thought about it. Um, but it's because they're taking over that you have to face up to the question. And like God doesn't want us to ignore this question. He, he, he wants us to overcome with the gospel, with grace. Mm -hmm. And then there's his victory seen for all, all, all eternity, how perfectly he arranged all. Yeah, so much of the book is um, really, uh, because I see somebody said, oh, so no no crusade, right? But like even no pogroms, like you don't want that ever to happen. You don't want any kind of violence breaking out. You want to be able to uh, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And you want to be able to convert hearts and bring people into the church. That's the idea of it. To have to have this conversation has nothing to do with, oh, we need to rally against a certain group of people. No, it's just to recognize like, okay, this is this is what's happening. And it's not every single one of them. It's just this is this is just the reality of the situation. When you look at uh, the things coming through Hollywood and the the conversations we're having in the public domain right now, a lot of these are kind of put on our plate without our without our even realizing it that this is just a, a, a plot to infiltrate Christian civilization and overturn it. Yeah, the church's teaching on the use of force is that it has to be proportional and from the due authority so that you can have a military and a police force who will be active, but they have to be under the right authority and you have the right to self-defense, basically. Mm -hmm. But part of going on a crusade, for example, is you have to have a realistic chance of succeeding. And so this is why I think a lot of people talk about civil war or pogroms always go wrong because they're chaotic. They can't succeed. It's just going to unleash a um, a violence that's indiscriminatory, uncontrolled, and and ends up causing a mess for future generations and confusion, which separates us still. So, if if there's to be a well, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. It's it's not. An, it's not that there can never be violence, but it has to be lawful and um controlled and uh targeted um and yeah. we it's not just like people deciding for themselves i mean you can defend defend yourself anytime you like but jesus showed a superior way you know there's a time 
to drop the defenses. Yeah. There's a time for it. Not not always. He didn't let them kill them when they wanted. Yeah. He walked through the midst of them. They had no chance. They picked up stones to stone him and failed. He didn't he didn't just lie down every time and say, Oh, hurt me. Yeah. But when he knew the time was right on the Passover feast, time for the slaughter of the lamb. He's the lamb of God. Okay. I'll let it happen. Do you uh do you have any videos on your channel of you kind of breaking down these old testament stories and showing like from the you know, because I know a lot of it you're you're just kind of uh retelling uh what the church fathers taught and things like that. Do you have any videos where you kind of break down some of the old testament stories and show the spiritual meaning of them and things like that? There is a playlist there on Old Testament. Um and there's one about what's what is Israel, meaning that it's the there's the man Israel who was Jacob, God gave him the name Israel. There's the people Israel who descended from him, and there's the land of Israel. So you have this man, this people, and this land. But in fact, giving it its real spiritual meaning, the man is Jesus Christ. The people are Christians who are descended from him spiritually, and the land is heaven, yeah. the true Israel, which is Christ to live in him, yeah, in, the, in the Holy Trinity. So, and that's how the two, the, the first version from the Old Testament points us to the eternal realities where the single word denominates a person or a whole people or their habitation. Um, So there are a few videos on it, but I don't really, I don't think I'd go through as I wanted to, like the whole book series, which shows you how so many characters of the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. Actually, I want to do that, but I hate making videos. It's such. It's I know. Hard with that, I think you're you're when you break out when you break down the Old Testament, even in this book, because you do it several times in this book. It's like my heart lights up. I'm like, oh, that's what that means when you're talking about the seventy nations and what that means. How why why God sends forth seventy uh, when Jesus sends forth the seventy disciples to go out and uh, uh, you know conquer the conquer the spirits like all these different stories that you get into telling that's when i get so excited when you start talking like that i i look forward to the day when rabbis convert who've been studying the torah all their life and so for example that the gospel infancy gospel of saint tom of not saint thomas sorry infancy gospel of thomas the thomas the israelite this was a long time after the 12 apostles it says that jesus was arguing with a teacher called Zacchaeus um, and you know how Jesus in the temple talking asking questions to the doctors of the law and they were amazed by him mm-hmm. and you can imagine how gentle and humble he was and yet in this um, apocryphal book which is awful it's saying he was humiliating Zacchaeus saying you're stupid he says why do you talk about the letter b when you can't even talk about the letter a and Jesus apparently gives this teaching about the letter Alpha. I guess it was written in Greek first rather than Hebrew, this Gospel of Thomas. Um, and it's really tied in with the Jewish gematria about the meaning of the letters. They say that the letter Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet, represents God. And it's made up of these three strokes, two yods, which are the smallest letter, when Jesus said not a, a dot or a tittle will pass from the should be changed from the scriptures. This uh, yod is the dot. And they're separated by a vav, which is the stroke, the tittle, whatever, that means and. It's the conjunction. The Jews say, the rabbis, that you have God as the one dot who's mirroring man made in the image of God by this 
stroke in the middle. And this is about creation, um, man in the image of God. In fact, you could see it as Trinitarian with the Father and Son perfectly mirrored by the Holy Spirit in the middle, who is their union, who's this and, this conjunction. If you wanted to go that far, and I guess in Greek with a capital Alpha, um, apparently in this false gospel, it's saying that Jesus said you have the three lines of equal length and meeting at a pinnacle, which is at the top of the Trinity. But the, apparently Jesus is humiliating this teacher so that he walks away feeling ashamed. He's saying, everyone's laughing at me. How can I ever teach again when I've been beaten by a boy? Now, this is so disgusting to anyone yeah. with a Catholic sensibility yeah. that Jesus would do that. And um, he gets St. Joseph again to scold Jesus. And then Jesus is angry with Joseph. It's absurd. So, but the... The rabbis have something interesting to say about even the letters of the Torah, where I think you can find Christian truths at that level yeah. with the Aleph and the Tav, which is God on the cross in the first line of the Bible. You know, the first three letters of the Bible in Bereshit, it's basically B for son, Ben or Bar, R for Ruach, the spirit, and A for Ab, father. So you have Son, Spirit, Father in the first three letters. Um, and then again in the second word is Bara. Yeah. It, and it's, so, it's the Holy Trinity right there in the beginning. Right from the beginning, yeah. It, it says in the head of the book, I will come. This is the head of the book. It, and, but the, the trouble is when you don't limit that and you make the letter into, you give it magical powers, basically. This is the problem where it's no longer God playing with us, giving us joy through the scriptures. But it, you, you're trying to get power. So that, they, for example, the idea that man imaged God in the Aleph, they end up saying that man is equal to God. And this apocryphon of John, also agnostic crap that mm -hmm. the guy in that clip was speaking about, says Adam was smarter than Yaldabaoth, who they mean God, Elohim yeah. Yahweh, the father of Adam was smarter. Man was smarter, which is Leonard Cohen's idea. You, Cohen means priest, right? Leonard Cohen is talking about how he's of the high priest descendant, and they want to repair the face of God because God messed up with creation. God made a mistake, and we need to fix it. And apparently, I don't know if this is true, but one of Leonard Cohen's lady friends, he said to her, I want you to convert to Judaism. And she said, you know, I thought about that 10 years ago, looked into it, but no. And I hope I'm not just spreading false rumors, but he said, please do. There's going to be a genocide of the Gentiles. It would be better for you if you're a Jew. Now, I wouldn't believe that except it fits with the Kabbalah, the idea that the divine sparks need to reassemble and everything else is lost to chaos. Yeah. And three times that apocryphon of John says, it is not as Moses said that Adam had a deep sleep, for example. And then it gives an alternative. And it's not as Moses said that the woman was taken from his side, from Adam's rib. And it gives an alternative, a lie. But we know Adam's deep sleep means Jesus on the cross. The rib from his side means the blood and water coming from his pierced heart on the cross from which the church is born, his bride. Which is my, it's my first book is Adam's deep sleep. If yeah. we don't have the rabbis telling us why the Torah is all about Jesus Christ, every letter, every word, every verse, every chapter of it is all about Jesus and Our Lady and the Church, then you go into this 
sick magic Kabbalah from the devil because he is very, very clever. And if this, you know, the, I've had the third time about the divine will devotion. It, in their act of consecration, it's all about submitting yourself to the light, this light, this light. It doesn't, it, it's Lucifer. And it's that he's the sovereign will in which all other wills are meant to dissolve. It's like the Zohar. It's disgusting. Mm. Jesus had two wills, divine will and human will. And they never melded into one, which is a heresy. Yeah. Um, and yet this divine will devotion wants us all. It says your humanity, your heart and your intellect basically melt away. And the, the divine will takes over. That's Lucifer. That's his totalitarian program. Possession. Yeah, and this is this Amen. is. I know there's very good Catholics who love this devotion. They think it's awesome, and this her Luisa Picaretta, spiritual director, has been canonized under John Paul II. But we know that the Secretary of State Sodano was defending McCarrick and Marcel Marcial at that time. Oh, so, what other evils are coming into the church by then? Yeah. It's not enough to say her spiritual director was canonized, therefore it must be good. I don't know enough about her and him. Maybe they were good, but yeah. the teaching has been corrupted by Satan, and it's, it's, it rhymes with Leonard Cohen, with the Zohar, with Kabbalah, and with the Quran, and the Babylonian lies that, that infect the Talmud from the magicians um, who St. Paul condemned this Bar Jesus saying, you make the ways of the Lord crooked, where St. John the Baptist came to make those ways straight. Yeah. Magic makes it crooked. And we should hate okay. this. So we actually only have two minutes left before the broadcast gets cut off. Um, I want to make sure everybody understands, because people are asking, what's the book? The book is called If You Believe Moses, Volume 1 and 2. Volume 2 is out. I would suggest getting the audio book, because Father Maudsley actually narrates it himself and he's got a very very nice voice in the in the audiobook um we're gonna have to do a, a part two to this because <laughs> this I, I really think the next time we should do let's just get into old testament stuff because i love hearing you break down the scriptures man it's like that it it it's so it's so exciting to listen when god really does bring joy to our hearts um father Maudsley, rob will get you the whatever you want to take from the show to put on your yeah, I'll channel get, i'll give you the file He'll get you the file. This I'll, was I'll see how YouTube censorship, how sensitive it is. Oh, this, this, show, <laughs> this show is not. I'm glad we came over here for it because it would have never made 10 minutes in past where we went. So, um, Father, thank you so much for coming on with us, man. I love the book. Guys, go out and buy it. And uh, we'll get you on again, man, sometime soon. Yeah, it'd be a pleasure. God bless you All both. Right. Thank you, Thank Father. you so much. Mm -hmm.